Church, if you would open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Once you found your place in the scripture, please stand for, to your feet for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is what God's word says. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming that the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither them root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that it gives us. We thank you for the encouragement and the hope that it brings to us in this fallen world. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts this morning. That if we are in a state of slumber, God, that you would awaken us. In a state of apathy, that you would shake us. If we are in a state of ignorance or a state of unbelief, God, that you would inform our minds. For those that don't know Christ and in their unbelief, God, that you would grant them faith and repentance that you would help them to know your word. Give them a new birth, Father, that they may understand spiritual things this morning, that they may know Christ as the Savior. For there is a day coming, God, when you will make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. That is to say, those that trust in Christ and those who do not. And that will be a great day, a glorious day for us, a day to look forward to. But for those who do not, Lord, it will be a day of unimaginable horror. So God, open our minds to receive your word now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, please be seated. The sermon is titled, God's Love for Obedience. God's Love for Obedience. This is part three. It is subtitled, The Lord's Reckoning. The Lord's reckoning. You have to excuse me, something (coughs) went down my windpipe a little while ago. But I'll get there. At one time or another, most of us have been in a jam, a bind, or a terrible situation that looks like the worst was about to come to pass. But somehow, some way, The situation worked out in our favor, and a sense of relief washed over us, and it brought about peace and happiness and joy. I'm going to tell you about a recent situation in my life, not to make you have pity for me, but just to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about so that we can transition to the Word of God, move from the natural to the spiritual. 
recently, my wife and I, we decided to get solar panels installed in our house. And within a few days of the system being ready to go and given notice that it was time to turn it on, we noticed that no electricity was being generated. We called the company to report that something was not right. And we were told, everything is fine. And uh, just give it some time to reflect on your bill. Still not convinced that all was well, I learned how to read a Southern California Edison meter on the outside of your house. And I confirmed that no electricity was being generated by these solar panels. I called Southern California Edison, and they agreed, and they confirmed my suspicions. <coughs> Even the phone app that we have that shows how much power is supposed to be being produced was reporting zero. So week after week after week after week, we called their customer service line and to let them know that something was wrong. And we continued to get no help. Month one passed. Month two passed. We're paying on our solar loan now. Thank you. <clears throat> so you guys know I will be well hydrated. <laughs> With or without solar. <laughs> I appreciate the love. Thank you, honey. Thank you, David. Thank you, Albert. And anyone else on their way to get me water. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, nothing's working. All the while, we're consuming all energy off of the Southern California Edison grid. This starts to create a sickening feeling in our stomach because we, instead of paying electricity month to month, you take out a loan and you pay it out a very small amount over 25 years, but it's a decent amount because that's a lot of electricity that you're trying to cover. <clears throat> but overall, it's supposed to lower your bill. You guys understand how that works. But we just made this big decision. We're trying to, uh, in the hopes that God would eventually, in the far future, bring us, uh, me back into full-time ministry. We're making every move we can now uh, in order to stabilize our uh, income, uh, not our income, but our expenses. And so this is one of the ways that we figured would be helpful. But we're trying to get help, and we've just participated in this solar program. You take out the loan, and you start getting this sick feeling. Dude, <clears throat> did we just get conned? Did we just get scammed? Did we just make a big mistake? Because that can happen. Even with the best research and best uh, intentions on what you're trying to do, things can happen. Month one passed, no help. The customer service line would be hours and hours on the phone just waiting for somebody to answer. Somebody would finally answer. Promise, we'll get somebody there. A week would go by, nobody. Another week would go by, we'd be calling. When, when, when is somebody going to come by and fix this? We've already paid our first uh, bill on this thing. And my electric uh, usage is going up through Edison, so I'm going to owe a whole lot of money if this solar panel thing doesn't start working. We'll get someone there. Two months go by. And this happens every week. Two and a half months go by. And again, I don't have to tell you that a sick feeling began to creep up in our stomachs, in our minds, had we just gotten conned or scammed. <clears throat> My wife was struggling to sleep, feeling like we had gotten conned. It's just, just describing an awful situation to you. <clears throat> there certainly were situations. We even got the bank involved, and they promised to investigate the matter. The matter. We tried even to get other solar companies to look at the problem, but no one wanted to work on another person's solar uh, equipment. Option after option seemed to dissipate, and we were even looking at the possibility of filing a complaint with the California Labor Board so that we could go to mediation or arbitration <clears throat> and get this resolved. I share the story, again, not for pity, but to help you recall that maybe you've been in a situation where you felt like you were facing a really bad outcome. I know a few of you a while ago had some car problems with big bills looming, and you're like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? 
health problems. <clears throat> Maybe you've been in a marital problem where you felt like the worst is about to happen or you made a financial decision. Whatever the case, we all know that we've been in those kinds of situations before. It's the reality of living in a fallen world. <clears throat> and I don't want to leave you in suspense because you're like, what happened? Okay. Well, I got on Facebook because that's what I do. And... Uh, I looked up this company and just trying to find more and more information than what I initially found out. And I began to see that recently there was a lot of customer complaints that were having a similar problem as us. So past, great, but recently not so much. <clears throat> I wondered if maybe the company got some bad panels <clears throat> or something else like that that would cause, cause such a rapid rise in issues. Anyway, I, I contacted a few of these people and created a group chat so that we could try to help each other. Like, you're in the same situation. Let's help each other get out of the situation. One person suggested that I contacted a particular person who worked for the company, and they gave me the name of that person, and I did. And the person responded quickly and promised to get someone to look in the matter, to look into the matter. And I thought, okay, you're another one <laughs> that keeps making promises. This is, nothing's going to happen. We'll see. But the next day, I discovered that the person that I contacted was actually the owner of the company. So then I wrote a cordial request asking him to help us and to put us at ease so that we would not feel like we were getting scammed or brushed off. Within two days, someone was at our house, and they discovered that the original electrician that had done the wiring wired things backwards. The electrician that was at our house wired it correctly, and within a few minutes, we had solar power, and that sick feeling in the pit in our stomachs turned to happiness and delight. We both slept very well that night. <laughs> Smiling that God had answered our prayers to get that thing fixed. Now, if you plan to get solar, come see me afterwards, and I'll tell you <clears throat> what company not to use because their customer service is terrible, even if an honest mistake was made in workmanship. Now, maybe, again, you did something terrible, and you were certain that it was going to end your marriage. Maybe you made a financial decision that you thought was going to bankrupt you. Maybe you did something at work that you thought would cost you your job. Teenager, maybe you did something ghastly that you surely thought would bring down the eternal wrath of your parents. Maybe a terrible situation came upon, you, came upon you that you were not responsible for. It just came upon you. Someone else caused it. But perhaps, whatever the case, maybe like me, that bad outcome turned to good. And it was averted to you. And you were spared the nasty consequences. And that resulted in joy and happiness and maybe a little dancing. You started to cut a rug, all right, a little rug in your living room. Maybe some of you <coughs> uh, here, you've seriously erred. You sinned sometimes in the past, and maybe you were not able to avoid those devastating consequences of your sin. And you still, in some sense, are dealing with those decisions that you made, those awful sinful decisions, and you're still dealing with the consequences many years later. And these choices and these sinful choices that you made seem to haunt you, and the effects of those choices seem to rear their ugly head every now and then, and you're reminded of your past, and that sick feeling comes back, and and it finds its home in your stomach. You, know, you understand what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I thought I was done with that. I think quite a few of us here are familiar with those two different outcomes. One of sadness and heartache, and one of relief and joy. It's common to all of humanity. Today's passage is going to take us to this reality. But it's on a scale that is infinitely more important. It'll be infinitely more dreadful, and infinitely more delightful, depending on the reckoning that God brings our way. I pray with all my might, I pray this morning, that those of you that don't believe in Jesus, 
as the Savior, and you've mocked him and rejected him and cast him off, that today that you would finally be awakened to the reality of your need for him. Because the worst possible outcome of your life is coming if you don't trust Christ to save you. Forget solar, forget bankruptcy, forget a failed marriage, forget bad health. There is something more atrocious coming that is inescapable if you do not turn to Christ. And I'm here to warn you today. A scenario that is utterly sorrowful, utterly painful, eternally unchanging. It is both the spiritual and physical reality that is so bad that you could never possibly imagine it this side of death. In an eternity of hell under God's wrath, separated from his love, separated from his goodness and blessing. Now, for those of you that believe that Jesus is the Savior, this is for you today, too. I pray that you'd be joyful in God and for having spared you of this justice that is coming, this wrath that is coming, that you deserve but has been averted you. And I pray that fervent worship and delight and joy would be emanating from you by the end of today and even overflowing as we hear from the word of God today. May it radically change you in such a way that you would show grace and mercy and compassion and goodness towards those who have not received the grace, mercy, and compassion of God. And before I go any further, I would ask you that you would pray one more time with me. Let's ask God to move in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Let none of us leave here today under the damnation of God. Let us all delight in the worship of God and what he has done to save sinners. Let us show brotherly and sisterly love to each other as we take Christ to the world. But let's pray briefly for a moment that God will make a lasting impression on us by his word today. Heavenly Father, shake us up, God. Change us, Lord. We are meeting with you. We are gathering to hear your word now. Speak to us, God, by your word. May we be confronted with it May it shake us to our core, for better or for worse, God. May you be glorified. And may we not leave the same people that we came here today as. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophecy of Malachi in the Old Testament, it's the last book of the Old Testament in in our Bibles. Matthew is kind of like the first Corinthians of the Old Testament. In first Corinthians, The Apostle Paul addresses the church that is in need of major spiritual uh, correction, both uh, doctrinally and practically, theologically and in deeds. They need correction. They're involved in divisiveness, in disputes, sexual immorality, lawsuits among believers. They need a correction in their understanding of sexual relationships in marriage. They don't know how to have proper relationships like that. They are in need of understanding of how you can be single and not married and use that gift to serve God. They need correction in how to exercise their Christian rights and freedoms and how to show brotherly love. They needed to have their order of worship set straight. They were missing even the significance of the Lord's Supper. There was misinformation about spiritual gifts, and they needed clarity and a better theology on the resurrection. And if there ever was a church in which one might be justified in resigning their membership, it would probably be this one. But that counsel was nowhere to be found in Paul's letter. Rather, the counsel was for everyone to get right with God and to live rightly with each other in one way or another. In other words, focus on Christ, fix the crisis, and then live in covenant faithfulness. 
In a similar vein, Malachi is a prophetic message to Judah, to the remnant of Israel, and he confronts these people by his word. The Lord does through a prophet in order to call his people to righteous covenant living with God and with each other. And in this prophecy, he issues warnings of judgment while calling people to know the salvation that is coming, <clears throat> the salvation that is to be found concerning Jesus Christ. Because Malachi prophesies of Jesus Christ in here who is to come. And so like the Corinthian church, they're involved in all sorts of sin and they're radically breaking covenant with each other and with fellowship with God. And so six problems are mentioned in Malachi. We are in the last one and we've gone through all of them so far. The first problem is they don't believe that God loves them. And we saw how God addressed that. Number two, the problem here is that they actually don't love God. They despise his name and they show it by offering polluted sacrifices to God. Number three, they break the Mosaic covenant with God. Thus, they are breaking covenant with God and with each other. And they are committing unbiblical divorces and they're marrying pagan women. The men are. Now, problem number four, they believe, mistakenly, they believe that God tolerates wickedness. And that God is the unjust one in tolerating wickedness like sorcery, adultery, perjury, and oppression. Problem five, they rob God, of, rob God of tithes and offerings that are due to the Levites for their temple service. Problem six, which we are in today, and this is part three of problem six. Judah, Israel, the remnant of Israel, believes that it is pointless to obey God. That it is pointless and unprofitable to remain in covenant with God. That it is better to be faithless to God. That there is no blessing in obeying God because as they see it, they think evil people are blessed. And they think that evil people are escaping the justice of God. And in spite of all of Israel's sin, in spite of all these problems in Malachi, we get wonderful declarations that Christ is to come. The messenger of the covenant. God himself is coming. We get visions of restoration in Malachi. We get promises of salvation and cleansing. We have received promises that a holy and righteous finality is coming in which sinners are punished while other sinners find salvation and mercy, the mercy of God through Christ. So we get wonderful promises of salvation, warnings of judgment in in the midst of all these six problems. Today we're going to finish looking at problem six. And the next time I preach we will look at the final text in Malachi. And we will finish this prophecy. In part one of problem six. Part one. We saw how Israel grumbled and complained against God. Once again they complained and believed it was pointless and profitless to obey God and to follow the Mosaic Covenant. They thought evil people were blessed, and they thought that evil people were escaping the justice of God. As we continued on in the second sermon of this problem, we saw that there was a people who actually separated themselves from that group of people. They were a repentant remnant. On a special day, God took notice. Well, first of all, God took notice that they were talking amongst each other and turning to God and repenting. God took notice of that, and He says to them, On a special day, I will spare you of judgment because you have repented. And the scripture says that on that day, the Lord would reveal who His forever people would be. On that day that is coming, 
Okay? And God would be vindicated. They were saying evil people are blessed. God doesn't punish evil. And God would be vindicated on that day, showing that evil people are condemned, while those who revere God and those who fear him, those who come to him for salvation, will be rewarded. In other words, the claims that following God was pointless and the evil people escape God's justice, that would be shown to be false on a coming day. Today we're going to look at this day of reckoning in greater detail. And the overall point is that Judah, as a whole, there's a remnant that doesn't believe this, but as a whole, they are wrong. God takes note of rebels. God takes note of those who turn to him in repentance. And the way he will treat those two different groups is vastly different. What a huge contrast. The first group we see when the Lord comes on that day is we see that this is a day that disobedient humanity will be destroyed. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. This is a day that disobedient humanity will be destroyed. It is important to see that this this portion of Scripture ties back to the end of chapter 3. At the end of that chapter, chapter 3, God says that you will once again, meaning they've already experienced this and seen something like this, Okay? They will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. On that day, you will see the difference between the one who serves God and the one who does not. A distinction will be made. God promises that a time is coming when the two will be separated and treated differently by him. That day is expounded upon here at the beginning of verse 4. It says, behold, or in other words, look, pay attention, listen up, see it. Something is going to happen. This is the third time that Malachi has used that phrase, behold. And each time he uses it, it is in regards to something that God is going to do in response to sinful things he sees in Judah. Behold, behold, behold. All in response to sinful things. In chapter 2, it's in response to the polluted offerings that they are bringing to him through the priest. The people are bringing nasty, disgusting offerings to the priest to offer to God. And God says, behold, to the priests. I will rebuke you and your offspring, and I will spread dung or entrails or feces on you, thus polluting you and making you unacceptable to me. I will not accept you. So it is a warning of something bad to come. In chapter 3, in response to Judah's accusation that God delights in the evildoers, God says, Behold, I'm coming to refine the Levites, to purify some of them, and to judge those who won't repent. You think I'm unjust? I'm coming. Behold. And now in chapter 4, the Lord says through Malachi, Behold, a day is coming when evildoers will be dealt with. Behold is calling us to wake up to our sin and realize that God is holy. And he will be just in punishing evildoers. And we need to be rescued from this coming justice. God's patience, brothers and sisters, is not to be mistaken for apathy or delight in sin. God's patience is not to be mistaken for apathy or slowness or delight in sin. His patience is coming to an end. And on that day, it will be evident that God is just. There will be no doubt, no false accusations ever made again. The day that is referred to here is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. In Scripture, the day of the Lord points us both to divine redemption 
and divine retribution. The day of the Lord points us to both divine redemption and divine retribution. Malachi has already asked some rhetorical questions. In the previous chapter, he says, Who can endure the day when he comes to damn and deliver, to judge and to save? Who can endure that day? And if you recall, we talked about that day, the coming of God in Christ. We talked about that day. And this day we saw was broken up into two events concerning Christ. It started with his first coming, because there's a day coming, and it started with the first coming of Christ, and its consummation, its finality, is at the second coming of Christ. In the first coming of Christ, he comes to save people through his death and resurrection and through his perfect life. He comes to accomplish his salvific work. In his second coming, not only does he come to finalize our salvation and bring salvation to our bodies and to this planet, but he comes to punish those who have continued to wage war against him by their sin. And so while the day of the Lord has two parts to it, the prophets of Israel often spoke of it as, spoke of it as one event, the day of the Lord. And, and they kind of combine it into one focal point. It's kind of like heads and tails of the same coin. It's one coin, but it has two sides. It's like a day. It has two parts, the light part and the dark part. Okay, And that's what's going on here. We see that there are children of the light, and now we see that there are people of darkness that will be dealt with. And to give you a big picture of this day, it is actually hinted at all throughout the Old Testament Okay, We see punishment and blessing. Punishment and blessing over and over again in Scripture. And this coincides with what we read in the Mosaic Covenant or the law or the agreement that God brought to Israel when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, when they were in the wilderness. Okay, There's an agreement. In that agreement, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 38, God says, punishment is coming if you violate this covenant and live outside of it. Reward and blessing are coming if you live within this covenant. In other words, if you stay in proper relationship with me, you will be blessed. And if you do not, you will be cursed. And so this motive is all throughout scripture of punishment and blessing. Blessing if you remain in covenant with God, judgment if you don't. And the day of the Lord is the finality of that. What all of this points to. All right? These are all types and shadows, realities, yes, but they point to a bigger event that is coming in Jesus Christ. And the day of the Lord will make it evident, well, it, will be, it will be evident, brothers and sisters, the entire planet will know who is in covenant with God and who is not. And that's what Judah is hearing. There is a day coming when God will punish those who break covenant with him and are out of covenant, and a day coming when those who will be rewarded. When it comes to the day of the Lord in Scripture, it's sometimes referred to as that day. Not just the day of the Lord, but that day. And while it is referring of a time to come, it's more about an event rather than a 24-hour period. Okay, we ought not to think of it as 24 hours in a day. But it is a time, an event of reckoning and redemption. It will be a sentencing and a saving And scripture often describes this event as near and right around the corner, as we'll see a little bit later. 
And it does this in order to keep us mindful of God's coming visitation that will shake the cosmos and rattle the planet and disrupt creation as he intervenes in human affairs for his glory. In Zephaniah chapter 1, I was just going to summarize this, but last night, let's read this whole, I decided to read this whole passage. I want, to, I want you to read it. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1. It should be up on the screen for you. And I want you to hear about the great day of the Lord. Okay? The great day of the Lord. Verse 14 says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast, coming quickly. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. He's not so tough anymore, is he? A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of what? The earth. This is a day, if there ever was one or ever will be, a day like no other. God will make rebels against him to nothing. In Zephaniah 3, verses 18 through 10, it goes on to tell the difference, though, that this day will make in other people's lives. We're not going to read this one. You can reference it later. But Zephaniah 3.18 says that it's going to be a day of purifying as well. So that people, that the people who call upon the name of the Lord may serve him in unity. There will be amazing worshipers, we're told in this passage, that will bring holy offerings to God. Two different people, two different treatments. So we see a day of gloom and doom for some, but a day of purifying and restoration for others. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 9 through 10 expresses the same truth in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. So in Scripture, when you see judgment upon the nations, you also see the salvation of the world. In the Old Testament, you see the judgment of the nations and the rescue of Israel. And those are all very real judgments and very real salvations meant to lead us to this final one that is coming, the final event. And so we see in Malachi that God has promised to come. God promises in Malachi to come visit wicked Israel. And we see that it was Jesus who God was talking about, because Jesus is God. And so once again, Jesus coming to earth this first time on this day of the Lord, it begins this event. Jesus' coming begins the event called the day of the Lord, and again it culminates with his second coming. And when Christ comes, you will want to be in covenant with him so that you will be saved when he visits earth. If not, you'll meet your maker in the worst possible terms. It will not be pleasant, and that is putting it lightly. So listen up, 
Because I pray that by the end of today's sermon, you'll know where you stand with God, whether or not you are in covenant with him. In Malachi, we get a further glimpse of that day. We are told that it is a day burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble or chaff. Chaff is considered to be worthless. That is how God views his, the rebels that are against him. They will be considered as stubble or chaff. The arrogant will be set ablaze, Scripture says in Malachi. They will be set ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Neither root nor branch. The arrogant that are being referred to here are those mentioned in Malachi chapter 3, verse 15. So it's all tying it together. He's coming to unleash fury on them. Now I want you to see that there are two statements here in this passage that are made by the Lord. And the two statements that are made by God Almighty, they're parallel statements meant to enhance and reinforce this point. God is using repetition to get it into your mind, to change your desires in order to move you to action. That's how God works. He teaches you truth. It causes you to feel a little different and to contemplate so that you are moved to action and you do something about it. Okay, Parallel statements. We need to hear this a couple of times. Let it really sink in and take, take hold of our heart. Let's experience the gravity of what God is saying. Pay attention. Wake up. That's what it's saying by saying it twice. Don't let it get past you. There is danger ahead. The parallels are evident. There's a day burning like an oven, which is parallel to the statement that they will be set ablaze. Parallel statements, okay? Moving in the same direction, communicating the same thing. An oven ablaze here refers uh, to, the, to the anger and the wrath of God. The anger and the wrath of God. Earlier, if you remember, sinful Judah said that God overlooks injustice and that he actually delights in evil. So what God is saying here is in response to that. Okay, Here Malachi adds a double clarity to their wicked perspective. God does not delight in evildoers, nor does he bless the arrogant as they said in chapter 3 verse 15. No, behold, God's anger and wrath are coming on that day. They will be stubble which is parallel to the statement that God will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, Stubble is like hay or chaff. If you throw that into a burning hot oven, what chance does it stand of, of remaining? The answer is none. It's going to burn up and disintegrate. It will be destroyed and consumed. And the devastation that is coming to those outside of covenant of the, with the Lord is further enhanced by the dreadful statement that neither root nor branch will be left. Neither root nor branch will be left. I want you to think of a forest that is set ablaze. It is one thing for a fire to run through that forest and to burn up the branches and to burn up the tree. Even the tree itself, that's a strong fire. But a fire that is so intense that it burns up the part of the tree that is under the ground, the roots that run deep, 15, 20, 30 feet deep, out far. That's an altogether different sort of fire, is it not? That it consumes everything. This is one of those statements that's letting you know that God will judge every, per, every person. 
the lofty and the humble person, the rich person, the poor, and everything in between, from A to Z, the branches and the roots. Nothing will be left outside of God's wrath when he comes and sets it against someone. It's all-consuming, total. For anyone that thinks that God overlooks evil and delights in it, that is his message to them. They will be as stubble as a tree that is consumed all the way down to the root. God's consuming wrath is coming on the day of the Lord. The question that one should be asking right now is then what must, what must I do to be saved from the judgment of God? For Israel and for Judah at that time, it meant for them to come back to God. And they showed this by coming back into covenant relationship with him, by doing all that God required of him and showing that he was their God and he was the one, and they're obeying him out of the freedom that he brought them from saving them from the Egyptian slavery. He saved them, and now they evidence their appreciation of this by following the Mosaic covenant. They were to live under the Mosaic law and heed the word of the Lord. And if they did, God's blessing would be upon them, and he would deliver them and bless them and spare them from wrath. They were to repent of sin, in other words, and to believe God at his word. His word concerning Jesus Christ that we learn about in Malachi. And from their vantage point, Jesus Christ hadn't come yet. This is pre-Christ coming in the flesh. Remember that this time period that we're in is that. They are waiting for the Messiah King to come. They are waiting for the, the messenger or the messenger of the covenant to come who would repair the old covenant and then usher in the new covenant, a new agreement. Now, I just said a mouthful there, so I need to expound upon that for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. The Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, okay? This was a rule system. It was an agreement that God made a contract with them. A ton of rules in it. And the Israelites were to live under it because God gave it to them and required obedience of them for, because he rescued them from Egyptian slavery. If they lived under it, again, they'd be blessed. If they rebelled, they'd have sanctions and punishments to come upon them. But this, this law, this covenant was much bigger than just this. That's part of what it communicated. It was much bigger than perhaps what they realized. It was this law, through its feasts and festivals and rituals and worship practices, that would portray the saving work of Jesus Christ. So it was there to teach us of Jesus Christ. That's what all it would do. And it would show how people could be reconciled and made right with God through sacrifices and through offerings, through a priestly work. In short, there's so much more, but just try to give you a a brief summary of it. And we see that the sacrifices they gave portrayed Jesus who would give his life for us and sacrifice his life. And the priest who offered the sacrifice on behalf of the people pointed to Christ who offered his life on our behalf. Okay. Now when Jesus came to earth... He came to obey this law perfectly. Why? Because Israel did not obey it perfectly. Do you understand that there is no Israelite other than Jesus that perfectly obeyed the Mosaic law? Therefore, they all deserve the punishment of God. And if, if they broke the law in one way, they broke it completely. There is no one that deserves to be blessed by God that was an Israelite other than Jesus Christ. And do you realize that with me and you, we have all sinned against God, and there is none of us that deserves to be blessed forever in Christ. And this is why Christ came, to perfectly observe the Mosaic law so that he could be shown to be the perfect one. 
And in obeying that law, not only did he earn righteousness for us, perfection for us, but he also fulfilled all its types and shadows and all that it portrayed. As he's doing everything that it says to do, he's actually helping people to see, I am all that it talks about. I'm the reality and I'm obeying it so that you can be blessed for what I've done. And I will go and be punished for what you have done. Brothers and sisters, that's how we remain in covenant with the Lord, by coming to Jesus. And it's not our obedience that keeps us in right standing or in covenant with God. It is Jesus' obedience given to us. So that when God looks at us, he sees us as having kept perfect covenant with him, even though we have not. This is what the old covenant was there to help us to see, that no one can keep proper covenant with God. Christ has to do it for us. And if you want his righteousness, his perfection, his perfect law-keeping, you have to trust that he's the Savior. For Scripture says, when you put your faith in him, he will grant you his righteousness, his perfection. And in going to the cross to die for sinners, our sins are removed far from us and placed on the cross of Christ, on him, in his body, bruised for us, bearing our punishment so that he took the condemnation that you and I deserve even though he never broke the law of God. He gets the justice that I deserve. I get the reward that he earned life forever with God in a new creation and so do you by faith in Christ. Faith is the instrument that connects you to Christ that transfers his righteousness to you. And so apart from faith in Christ, all you have is your own sin to contend with on the day that the Lord visits you. You do not have righteousness. You have sin to answer for. And what is your outcome? You will be treated as stubble. As a tree in which a fire rages and consumes you. Now, this is what Christ has done for us. That is how we, that is how Jews now, non-Jews now, stay in covenant with God by clinging to Christ as Savior. With Jesus having obeyed the law perfectly, with Jesus having fulfilled the law and his types and shadows perfectly, the old covenant is obsolete, Hebrews tells us, and the new covenant is here, a much better covenant where we cannot break covenant because of what Jesus has done for us, that he writes his name on our hearts and inscribes his law on our hearts and gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can never turn away from the Lord. And not only that, he's given us his righteousness so that on the day that when the Lord comes, he sees perfect righteousness in us and he transforms us to be like him forever. That day is coming. This doesn't mean, though, when sinners are judged by God, the, 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 the chaff illustration and the, the consuming of the tree and the branches and the roots. It doesn't mean that total annihilation is coming as if hell is a state of unconsciousness, all right, as some people teach. It simply means that God's wrath is inescapable and it is fierce. Do not be the foolish person who builds his house upon the sands of a dry riverbed. Do not be that person that is shifting ground that you are on. And when the rains come, the rains of God's judgment, it will wipe away the foundation that you think you are standing on. Your secular philosophy, your worldly ideologies, your atheistic viewpoints, your carnal desire for sin, it will all be swept away from under you and your life will come tumbling down. Do not be foolish, Scripture warns us. 
Instead, it tells us to build our house on the rock, and that rock is Christ. Trust Christ for eternal life with God. He'll remove your sin. He'll give you his righteousness, and you'll forever be blessed in covenant with God. Do not forget that, God's, that, that God does not love injustice and that he, that he uh, loves wickedness because he doesn't. He will forever judge those who love their sin more than him. Please, if you are not a Christian, learn to hate your sin. Learn to hate it. It is not worth clinging to. Whatever temporal pleasures you get from sin, they are meant by design from Satan to trick you into not believing the truth of God. Let me say that again. Whatever temporal pleasures you get, temporary delights and joys and satisfactions you get from sin are meant to blind you by Satan to the coming wrath of God so that you are enjoying them so much you can't, prob- you can't possibly see the semi-truck that is about to smack you and take you down. You're just enjoying life, eating and drinking and being merry and doing all that your heart desires, not knowing that judgment is coming and you are being fooled. And you don't even know that you're being fooled. In fact, you think I'm fooling you. And you think I'm the one that's stupid. And I'm the one that's foolish. And I'm the one that's making this up. And I'm the one that's delusional. And Christians are silly. And we're superstitious. And we've been lied to. And we cling to this evolutionary remnant that's supposed to somehow get us through life. And we don't need this anymore. That's the lie that you're being told. And that's that's the truth that you are adhering to. And it's wrong. It's wrong. God's justice is coming. God's justice is coming. Remember, this passage is in response to those who think God is okay with evildoers and tolerates injustice. God has spoken through the prophet Malachi to warn Judah and us that this is not the case. We see how the wicked will fare on the day when the Lord comes. But what about the faithful? What about the faithful? Is it pointless to remain faithful to God? Is there no blessing in serving God and loving him? That's where the next couple of verses take us. They further make a distinction between the wicked and the righteous, between the unrepentant and the repentant. We see the second point of today's sermon, that that day that the Lord comes will be a day that the righteous will be healed. A day that the righteous will be healed. A clear contrast is made. There are those who do not fear the name of the Lord. And in the context of Malachi... Right? We're told people, there are people that don't fear the name of the Lord. Malachi means this, that there are those who offer wicked sacrifices to the Lord on his altar in regards to the Mosaic Covenant. That's people who don't fear the Lord. They think God is junk. And the, the way that we can prove that God is junk to them is they give him junk offerings. Just like a husband, if on his wife's birthday, if he brought her a bag of trash, he would be showing that he does not love his wife, what he thinks of her. So too, they're bringing garbage to God They don't fear his name. They don't honor his name. They don't love the person that God is. In in chapter 3, we see those that repented of this. And they feared the name of the Lord. And they talked. And God wrote their name down in a book. In other words, in his, his mind, God has forever sealed it. Who those are who repent and fear his name. Who love him. So that on that day, it uses that phrase. On that day, he'd remember them and bless them. So here's where the distinction is being made between one group and the other. The end of Malachi, you see, is not only wrapping up problem six, but it's also tying together the whole prophecy of Malachi. For those who are returning to covenant living, to right sacrifices, to the Christ-exalting Mosaic covenant, God has some amazing promises that will distinguish them from the wicked. While the wicked are going to be crushed under the weight of God's wrath, 
Those in proper covenant with God will experience healing from the son of righteousness. That's what verse 2 says. S-U-N, not S-O-N. That's not a typo. That is what scripture says. S-U-N, the son of righteousness. We're going to experience healing. And remember that song we sang? I forgot what it was called. But for you who fear my name. It's, t- it's taken from Malachi 3 and 4. Okay, Direct, direct quotations from scripture. The phrase, the son of righteousness, is unique to Malachi. Some people think it's a reference to Jesus Christ. But in keeping with the language of Malachi, bear with me here. We have to do some teaching so you can get this. All right. Keeping with the language of Malachi, we see that the day of the Lord is going to be bad for some people and good for others. Okay, The day of the Lord will be heat and then heat. Okay. Oven and a fire and a sun, okay? The fact that the word sun here is used, I think it indicates the difference that this day will make for one group over the other. While one group will experience the fiery wrath, that same day, we will feel quite different on that day. The sun is itself a hot thing. Even though it's hot, right, it brings the earth things that we need, brings us things that we need, warmth and vitamin D and solar electricity, okay? (laughs) Yes, all right? Nice tan. Some of you, the sun has done amazing things. You got this this golden brown, you know, look to you, and it's just like, man. And then some of us might be a little more pale, and we're like, how do you get that? The sun, okay? It helps crops to grow. It brings all kinds of benefits. We need the sun and its heat to survive and thrive. Of course, the sun can burn you, but the same thing can have two different effects. And so it seems that this day of the Lord is a consuming fire, but also a day of healing and restoration. That is, now, that's what's coming, both destruction and healing on the day of the Lord. Now, the phrase son of righteousness could equally be understood to mean the sun that reveals righteousness, the sun that exposes and brings in righteousness, sun of righteousness. Remember that one of the reasons for the day of the Lord is to distinguish between the righteous and the unrighteous, right? And if the Lord comes and consumes all those who are unrighteous, who's left? Us, the righteous, those who trust in Christ. It reveals who is righteous. But the Lord's coming also reveals his righteousness because he punishes evildoers. But who's the one coming? Jesus, who is the king of righteousness. So that day is going to reveal a threefold righteousness coming to us. Okay? It's wonderful. It's going to reveal those who are in covenant with the righteous Lord. Again, a distinction will be made. Further healing will be coming to us. Further healing how? These bodies are longing for redemption. They are longing to be free from the desire to sin. And they are longing to be delivered from the sicknesses and the ailments that we feel due to the fall of mankind, due to our sin condition, right? Right now we've been renewed on the inside and outside is yet to be awakened to that salvation. And the Lord is coming to give us glorified bodies that are restored and he'll renew the planet. And there will only be righteousness that dwells here, scripture tells us. Righteous people, righteous bodies, righteous Savior, righteous deeds. There'll be no more heartaches due to the fall of sin. The son of righteousness, Scripture says, 
is said to have wings of some sort, a sun with wings, perhaps better stated, a sun with rays. We know sun has rays. Eastern religions picture the sun as a winged disk. The sun disk of the Assyrians was a symbol, not of restoration and healing, but a symbol of destruction, the Assyrian sun disk. And it might be that Malachi, maybe he's intentionally making a contrast between pagan deities and the one true God. It's hard to escape, though, the reality that the coming of Christ, the coming day of the Lord, is both a reckoning with sinners and a day of restoration. It is both. The day of the Lord is none other than the appearing of Christ. It is none other than the appearing of Christ. And while it is an event, it is a visitation from the God-man. Okay? So you know how sometimes we have Christmas parties, Thanksgiving, Friendsgivings, right? All that stuff. Those are events. This event cannot be distinguished from the person who is Jesus Christ, the God-man. It is not a party. It is a visitation from God himself. That is the event, the person of God coming. And that's why some people think that the son of righteousness is a reference to Christ himself. So while the day of the Lord is an event, you can't really separate it from the son of God. You can't. The event is Christ coming. The event is a person visiting So with the Old Testament fulfilled, we see that the New Covenant, the New Testament, it further enlightens us to the reality of this day. The Old Testament speaks of it, so does the New. 2 Peter, read the whole chapter of 3. 2 Peter 3 tells us that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. Didn't Zephaniah tell us it's near and hastening? Okay, similar language. On that day, scripture says, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Does it not match Malachi? Yes, because it's the same day. A day when um, works and the deeds done on the earth will be exposed. That is to say, sinners will be judged. This serves as a reminder to believers, Peter tells us, to live a holy life on this earth, to remain faithful to God in Christ as we await the coming day of God. The day which will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. A day in which righteousness dwells. The son of righteousness. That eventful day that restores righteousness in all manner and fashion and shape and form to this world and to us with our Lord coming is equally foretold in 2 Peter chapter 3. Brothers and sisters and non-Christians listening, both Old and New Testament speak of this. It reveals to us a day of reckoning and a day of rewarding. The coming of the Lord. The fullness of it, once again, is that the righteous Christ will come. He will dispense righteous judgment upon the unrighteous. And those who are left are those who have been declared righteous in Christ by faith. Because through faith we are granted the righteousness of Christ. And so those who remain are further healed, finally redeemed in this new creation, in this new heaven, new bodies, no longer prone to sinful desires. The righteousness that Christ gave us will be matched by outward bodies that only want to do right. That's the healing that comes on the day of the Lord at the return of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be set apart on that day. While we are sinners now, we are declared righteous because of what our Lord has done for us. That's called justification. 
receiving the righteousness of Christ so that God declares us righteous with our sin removed. Glorification, that's the final stage of salvation when we are finally healed from our sin condition that remains in these fallen bodies. What a happy day. Jesus has washed our sins away. But what a happy day is coming. It is a day of everlasting destruction for the wicked, but also a day of celebration for the righteous. What will be the response of those who fear the name of the Lord? We look further in Malachi. This is an interesting phrase. The Lord promised Judah and us, by extension, that we're going to go out like calves released from their stalls. Can you just picture that? The comparison here is not in reference to some sort of acrobats that we're going to do out of excitement and joy that we're going to have at the Lord's coming. But it's a picture of this full restoration and excitement and exuberation and healing of us. Like jumping calves released from their stalls. You ever watch a rodeo and you see that, you know, that's not a calf, that's a bull. That thing is scary and beastly, right? You're like, someone's about to get the horns and you're just like, just hang on for eight seconds. And as soon as they whip out that gate, like, yeah, that thing is just all over the place, right? I don't know what that was, a dance move maybe, right? That's forever on uh, the stream. Oh, Lord help me, right? So that's a little bit of what it's going to be like, released from our stalls, released from this cage that we've been in, free, finally, and fully redeemed, refashioned for our original purpose, no more sin, no sin-cursed creation, no wickedness, no more temptation, no more illness that pains us, no more bad days, no more achy backs, no more diabetes and having to not have pie on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Ugh, I was so mad this past Thanksgiving. You don't even know, right? That, will, that won't exist anymore. What a distinction it will be made for us. While there is time, shouldn't we be busy telling people that this day is coming and that they can be rescued by Christ? As this day approaches, as Peter says, shouldn't we be living holy lives in view of this? I'm not sure if you see the point in end times prophecy. End times prophecy is not meant to scare us Christians. In the tradition that I grew up in Christianity, a lot of Christians were scared for Jesus to come back. Why in the world would you be scared? Have you not read the same scriptures? Or has the wrong message been told to Christians? It is a day of rejoicing for us. It is to motivate us to warn sinners and to motivate us to live holy, celebratory lives. Celebrating. This coming of the Lord is not something for Christians to fear. It is something for us to say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I've heard men say, I don't want Jesus to come back until my daughter walks down the aisle, or I can walk my daughter down the aisle and then I can have grandkids. Serious? <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to kick out of the cage and for our Lord to return and rejoice with you all in heaven, in the new creation. Heaven come down on earth. That's why we sang that first song. God of heaven, come down. Just to know that you are near is enough. Hallelujah. Every song we sang this morning was designed to point you to this reality, okay? On that day, I don't know about you, I'm ready. If that day is coming, and if we are certain of it, why aren't we waiting to rejoice? Why aren't we wanting to rejoice more? Again, I know we're Baptists and we're Reformed and all that, but you'd think it was a sin for some of us to celebrate, right? It shouldn't be. I dare some of you to be joyful in Christ. Be overwhelmed by his goodness. Let it consume you. It is glorious. What a wonderful day. Healing in all forms. 
Let's kick against the stall a little now and ask God to free us and release us and bring in that day. On that day, not just believing Israel, but believing Gentiles or non-Jews, that's us, most of us, will be, it says we shall tread down the wicked. Who are the wicked? They are the evildoers, the arrogant mentioned in Malachi. They are those that supposedly escape the judgment of God. Because remember, there's an accusation that God's letting people escape. That's, that's who uh, the wicked are going to be tread down. In fact, uh, it's the ones that God does not delight in because of their evil deeds and their evil nature. The righteous ones, the ones in covenant with God, it says they're going to tread down the wicked. They will, and, and, and the wicked will be like ashes. There's that fiery image of them being consumed under their soles of their feet, under our feet. In ancient times during war, the winner of the battle would often put his foot on, on the neck of the slain victim, showing victory. This is, communi- this is not communicating, first of all, a holy war or some sort of crusade that we are to participate in. Rather, it's communicating the state of the wicked, the state of the righteous, their final condition. One consumed by God's gir- uh, burning oven, consumed by the fire that God is, to the point that they are just nothing but ashes left over. And then the victorious ones, left remaining standing over the ashes in victory and salvation and finality. That's further expounded upon and helps us to see this. It's further expounding upon and helping us see the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous on the day when the Lord acts. For those who fear his name, right? we saw previously in chapter 3 that God will act on their behalf He remembers their names. He will act on their behalf, and he will not forget them because their names are recorded forever. On that day, he will act. He will heal them completely, and they'll remain while the wicked will perish forever. That's what our text is stating today. It's not calling for violence. Neither is it calling for vengeance, for that alone belongs to the Lord. It simply reminds us that the Lord will separate saint from sinner. It will be obvious to all that God does not delight in evildoers. But it reminds us that God has grace and mercy and salvation reserved for those who fear his name. Do you fear God? Do you love God? Do you understand what Christ has done for you to bring you into covenant with him? Is that evidenced by your obedience to the Lord? Because God loves obedience. He loves obedience because it flows from a heart that has been redeemed by his grace. He does not love obedience because it's what saves you, because only the, Jesus, only the obedience of Jesus saves you. But God loves obedience. We don't give it to him, therefore we need an obedience from outside of us to invade our lives. That is the obedience of Christ. And out of that, new lives are issued, and we try to obey God out of love for him and out of worship for him. It is those people who fear the name of the Lord, who will, who will be redeemed on the day that the Lord comes. Listen, if you're not a Christian, God is warning you now of this dreadful day to come. So turn to Christ and believe. Believe that he was perfect and died again, died and rose again for your sins. This is your only hope of seeing that day of wrath turned into a day of healing and celebration. If not, it will be the worst calamity that you have ever faced. If you thought losing a job or making a financial blunder was dreadful or having soul or not work for two and a half months and thinking you made a massive error in decisions or you did something to destroy a relationship and you had that sick feeling in your stomach because you're, you're about to face horrible consequences, then imagine that a, t- a million times over 
And you'll begin to understand a fraction of the dread you will feel at the return of Christ. So come to him today and be reconciled and be healed. And expect further healing. Christians, let us live holy and righteous lives. Knowing that day of destruction is coming when Christ will be revealed. And we will be revealed to be his. And we will be healed from all unrighteousness. Let us be busy serving God and declaring the gospel to others while we celebrate like skipping calves for all that God has done, is doing, and will do for us. We're about to sing another song in a second called I Can Only Imagine. And if you know that song, portions of it are taken from the notion of the day of the Lord. When I stand before you on that day, will I be able to stand? Am I going to weep? Am I going to dance? I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. We, we, can't, we can't comprehend it completely. But thank God he gives us his word to let us know that something amazing is coming to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we delight in you to now, right now.